0: Man, Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 289.5. We were going to run this a while ago, but for various reasons, we had to reshuffle and do what we did. Anyhow, this is episode 289.5. Jason Lingren is with me, and for the first time, Steven Sorensen, and we're going to be covering flamenco ideas. Uh, I think episode 64, 65, we covered Fomenko, and I forget what I was looking at at the time that got us down that avenue, but I know I was getting a lot of PDFs. I think typically online, if you do Fomenko searches, there's like 21 or 22 typical packaged PDFs you can get your hands on, but there's really so much more to it. Uh, Back in the day, if I'm not mistaken, I was still getting Russian translations, and it is a lot. And for someone with my level of mathematical skill, it's not possible that I could take apart parts of what he's doing. Um, But it's damn interesting, to say the least. Uh, Part of it, if you will recall from back in the day, was the idea of historical events where someone described an eclipse, supposedly. And that's very interesting. Then the other thing is about the Royal Family lines, where he puts forth the method to say, hey man, um, someone's been replicating backwards the explanation for why this royal family matters or has legitimacy, these kinds of ideas. But before we jump in here, I will say wholeheartedly, one person, supposedly an authority in our world, told us the truth, and that would have been, supposed Napoleon, whether he existed or not, as we think, he gave us the quote, history is a lie agreed upon. I accept it all day long for so many reasons that I can't even begin to cite them. But anyhow, welcome, Jason. And a fine good morning. And we've got a lot to go through, so let's go for it. All right. Welcome, Stephen.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: All right. So we've got copious notes here from you. Why don't we just do the introduction real quick? Are you going to have people allow people to contact you? And I will preface, if you, in this first hour, give out contact information, you could be overwhelmed. Do you intend to have people contact you?
1: Yeah, I encourage people to hit me up. I have commenting available on every page of my website. So that's at www.ctruth.today. I've also got contact information up there. If they don't want to do it publicly, they can send me an email. And I got social media accounts on the front page of my website. If people want to hit me up through like Twitter or Facebook, I'm really easy to contact.
0: All right, let's get the web address straight so people don't get lost. It's C-Truth, the letter C followed by the word truth. ctruth.today. That's how you will search it out. The name is Stephen Sorensen. That's S T. E-P-H-E-N. Sorensen, just how it sounds with one R, right? Yep. S-O-R-E-N-S-E-N. Um, all right. So let's jump in. Do you want to do a quick introduction about what you've been doing in the realm of flamenco?
1: Yeah, I'll do a quick overview. So I started learning about flamenco in, I think, 2016 is when I started reading his books. For the next like year or two, I was Basically, just reading the books and checking out arguments against what was in the books. And then in 2018, kind of towards the end of the year, I started a Facebook group about it called Fmyenka Studies, where I was going to get more people together to discuss what was in the books and then try and really like this whole time, I've just been trying to figure out what parts of it are valid and what parts of it aren't and that is as we were talking about before we hit record it's voluminous there's so much to go through uh it would take a long time it's some 50 years in the making it started in 1973 is when he started uh, researching this and putting together his ideas so there's a lot of ground to cover 2018 I started the Facebook group the posts were getting to be a bit much and so in 2019 on January 2nd I created Sea Truth originally called Chronology Truth to investigate the truth about chronology to figure out what what can we really say for certain and where does it become foggier and foggier And so I've had that website up. I just renewed it again for the next year. So I've had that for almost two years now. I've been uh, dug into a lot of the fundamentals of history. How are things dated? Um, What are the various ideas that are out there? I created a Patreon account if people want to support me there. I listened back on a lot of your shows over the last couple weeks and a lot of your guests have books. I don't have any books yet, but I do have a Patreon so you could support me through that if you want. I do plan on writing books eventually, but I want to keep learning more before I really put anything into print. And so that basically catches me up. I began pursuing a bachelor's degree in history uh, in the fall here. The semester just ended so i am going through the academic uh meat grinder and it's uh definitely a trip uh the bar is a lot lower than i thought it was going to be but maybe that's just because it's just the bachelor's right now but whatever may be the case i'm looking into history investigating it critically trying to understand where the state of history is at today what what kind of experts do we even have that exist? And so, as far as an overview goes, that's kind of my background. The Fomenka thing is what really uh, kicked off my severe interest in the history, because if what he's saying is true, then the million of the million plus history degrees that were awarded in the twentieth century. They're all based upon a false premise, and so it's really like a Harry Potter book club where they're all real experts on the Harry Potter world, and they think it's reality, but it's not. And so to kind of suss out what's true and not true, that's kind of the driving goal. I, I approach it from an epistemological standpoint of how, how do we know and what can we know
0: All right. Well, well, you're speaking my language. I'm with you all day long. Um, I'll say it again. History is a lie agreed upon. We have proved it in so many ways that it's almost like you can pick any point in a supposed historical timeline and within five minutes begin to rip critical holes in what you've been presented with. But from the idea of some of the Flamenco work, I'll just give an overview. I don't know exactly where we're going to go here, but one of the things just to refresh people is the idea that the supposed history we're aware of could have happened, I don't know, within the last 500 or 1,000 years, something like that. And I'm sure Stephen will zero in on that. So people understand some of the sources here. Uh, Scaliger, Josephus Scalinger. Now that dude is the only guy in the whole entire world at one point who apparently wrote anything that mattered in Western history. And we've taken that apart in my view. And I don't think Stephen shares my view, but in my view, He's a Jesuit stooge, at the very least. Maybe didn't even exist. Maybe a complete fabrication. Hard to know. But Scalinger is going to be one of the sources, probably the Bible and what I really appreciate about Stephen's work here is he's doing the Greeks and he's doing the Romans. And I'm familiar with all of this. It's probably been quite some time since I've looked at it, but there are people like Patavius, Herodotus, um, how do you say that, Thucydides, uh, less familiar with that, Xenophon, Strabo, those are the uh, Greek sources. Then you get up into Rome, Varro, Livy, Tacitus, and Suetonius. These are the reference points we have, but overarching at all, and you just heard uh, Stephen say it himself. History is a lie agreed upon. So what is it? Are we reading about Hogwarts here? Or is there something more? So where do you want to jump in here, Stephen?
1: I didn't actually say history is a lie agreed upon. And like you like you said, we don't agree upon everything. I don't technically agree with that because I think that there is some history that we can say for certain, like the fact that you published your uh, episode 64 in 2017, I think that's something that we could both agree upon, that that's when that happened. And so, history is a light agreed upon. It's, it's almost like a thought-terminating cliche, but we don't have to linger on that too much. But Joseph Scaliger, yes, he was very important. He's considered the father of modern chronology. We do disagree on the part that he was a Jesuit, but only because I haven't seen the information that you have to support your belief. So, I'm uh, ignorant of your reasoning for that. But for certain... His popular, the traditional belief is that he was a Protestant, and I think your idea is that the Protestants were like uh, crypto-Jesuits or something of the sort, so a would be a double agent of sorts. But yeah, the ancient Greeks and Romans, The I only put four of them down on our show notes, but I've gone through a lot more than just those. And the reason why those are important is because the Greco-Roman timeline, the Greco-Roman history is sort of the backbone of uh, Western civilization. The those historians are the primary sources that are used for trying to figure out when other events happened. And as we go on throughout this discussion, I'll be talking about why do we think that they're ancient, and what what are the survi- surviving records of them. And Scaliger, he was really important, father of modern chronology. He Prior to Scaliger, basically, people based their histories on the Bible or on the forged texts of Annias of Viterbo. So either they would be based on the Bible or they'd be based on forgeries. And the Bible itself is pretty obscure when, it, when we start talking about surviving records and where they come from. And so, yeah, I don't know where you want to go first well, with this.
0: I'll, uh, I'll, I'll jump in real quick. Just to to make a minor correction, the Protestant movement, which we can demonstrate partially through the work of Michael Hoffman, who is co-author of King Kill 33, just to frame people in. The Vatican had its arms everywhere, and even in these supposed offshoots that are portrayed as independent of them, it's not true. It's demonstrable that people from within their walls are some of the statues sitting in a protestant location but to get back to scalinger and as you were speaking i just recalled uh, i'll have to dig to see if i can find some of these sources but one of the big things that got me going on scalinger was there was a numismatist guy who collected coins and he used that what he knew about the coins to be accurate to show um falsehoods about scalinger and there are other things that go on from there but let's let's jump in I don't know. Do you want to start with the Greek historians? That would supposedly be the furthest back from us.
1: Let me just start with just some definitional stuff so that people know exactly what I'm talking about here. So in the show notes, I got defining history. So what is history? It's, it's all the events that have ever happened in the past. And the way that we record those is through writing or through audio, like this uh, interview, this recording that we're doing right now. Through painting, through art, through dance, music, uh, all the different ways that we can record those events that have happened and make them a bit more tangible than just uh, memory. And so history is that sum total of events that have passed. Historiography is how those events have been recorded. It's how have how have these things been written. And historiography is really important, as we'll get into with some of these manuscripts and what people base their histories upon. Chronology is what I really focus on, which is the order of events that have happened. So where history is the events, the chronology provides an order for those. And it allows us to understand that I was born before I crawled, then I crawled before I walked, and so on and so forth. And so those are just some quick definitions just to clear that up for anyone who might not be familiar with historical terminology. So, yeah, let's get into some of these.
0: Let let me frame this up real quick, because you did make a good point by saying you're reasonably sure you can demonstrate that my episode 64 came out what it did. But you see, I think we need to be a little more. I don't know what to say about it, but we can take modern history because that's what that would be. And there is a distinction. Let's go back to 2001. Does anyone listening to this think that the history books have an accurate account of what happened in 2001? I can demonstrate all day long that that history is a lie agreed upon. And I think what we find to address the point that you make, Crow put out an episode, we can be reasonably sure that it happened at this time. Look, here's a date stamp. The difference being is that what Crow did isn't even really a drop in the bucket in the concerns of historical accounts. 9-11, on the other hand. Uh, every major player in the world had a dog in that fight. And so I think it's critical to kind of frame it up in that way. But you were about to jump in. Where would you like to jump in?
1: No, yeah, that's a good uh, distinction to make, is that some events aren't as important as others. And just to even piggyback on that a bit more, the importance of Scaliger in historical studies as the person who Oh, yeah, that's what I was saying earlier is prior to Scaliger, people based their histories mostly in the Western world on the Bible or forged texts from Ananias of Atterbo. After Scaliger, it kind of opened up the box a bit more to allow non-biblical sources to be authoritative on historical events. And so that's when we start getting into more of the Greek and Roman historians and the Bible sort of gets put onto the back burner. But... With Scaliger being such an important character in history, it may be surprising that I think only one or two people that I've talked to that have history degrees or relevant degrees in uh, history. only one or two people out of like fifty plus have even heard of Scaliger, so it's kind of sad that he is um evaded getting included in historical curriculums but to go on to some of these manuscripts so herodotus he's commonly considered to be one of the fathers of history and aside from the papyri that were found that have some of his stuff they were all found in the late 19th to early 20th centuries so One more quick thing before I dive into this is provenance. Not many people have heard of this word. Provenance is the history of ownership or even just the history of an item. And provenance studies are severely underdeveloped. There's even a thing out there that calls itself a manuscript research organization, something along those lines. They don't give any mind at all to provenance. They don't include any provenance information on their website for their manuscripts. And that is such a key thing to have is understanding where this thing came from to determine its authenticity. So
0: good way to introduce fraud, right? No provenance. It's like the chain of custody. Like if you were in a legal court, that would be the chain of custody. If you go over to Tibet, to their religious traditions, they have to track that religious method that they're using, that spiritual tradition back to the guy who invented it. And so I think you're making a key point here. If you're not going to show provenance, that is an A1 way to introduce fraud precisely. And even provenance itself
1: can be faked. And so there was a case earlier this year of uh, two guys that got uh, sentenced to prison for faking provenance. And Uh, using dead people as previous owners that never owned these items. And so they were faking provenance to sell items and it's a mess. And so even provenance itself can become uh, sketchy and needs to be looked at critically before just accepting it at face value. So Herodotus, the father of history, what kind of manuscripts do we have for him? Well, the principal ones are now we got about uh, 10 or so here. The earliest of them dates to the 10th century AD. So Herodotus was around 5th century BC, I think. And that's about eh, 1500 years, 14, 1500 years after the fact that we finally have one of his writings, which leaves a lot of time for interpolation or corruption or complete fabrication. And even the idea that he is the father of history is uh suspect. It's, it's attributed to Cicero from the first century BC, and he only mentions it in one place in one book that, to my knowledge, isn't referenced again until Petrarch in the 14th century. And Petrarch only mentions it in one place in one book as well. And so that's already removing it again really far from the supposed source.
0: Where is he supposedly getting the uh, information from? What was he referencing in the first place?
1: I am not exactly sure uh, what all he was referencing. Um, A lot of people today don't even think that he should be considered the father of history because there's a lot of fantastic narratives, myths and legends included. So people try to pass that off to Thucydides, who I'll talk about right after this guy.
0: Let me ask real quick, though. um, In Herodotus, what's the source? Is this the, the Vatican? Did they provide the translation? Do we have any idea where the Herodotus, you know, you pointed out, look, over a millennium went by and all of a sudden we got this guy. So what's being implied here is lo and behold, someone found this old manuscript and they translated it, right? It had to at least come into Latin or some Western language for it to be in a narrative that we're probably going to recognize. Do you have any idea? Was this a Vatican thing? Was it a royalty thing? Was it the Lords of the house of Lord knows what? Do we know where Herodotus got translated?
1: No, I'm not familiar with all that information, but the earliest manuscript that we have is being held in the uh, in Florence in the Laurentinian. So besides that, it's been dated to the 10th century, and the provenance is basically non-existent. We know it's there today, but we don't know when it got there or how it got there. Um, because they just haven't posted that information. And that info could exist out in the world somewhere, but I am not yet aware of it. There are two manuscripts, though, that date to the 11th or 12th century, and then also one that dates to the 14th century that are in the Vatican. And uh, those could both possibly be sources. The manuscripts are generally based upon older ones, and so determining when these were actually written and where they come from is a completely different study but the main point here with the principal manuscripts is that they're incredibly late to be even trying to take seriously as credible sources for a guy that lived in the 5th century BC at least until further study is conducted to determine their authenticity
0: sorry i was trying to do a lookup real quick to see if i could answer my own question unfortunately all the critical editions are going to be from the 1900s forward i didn't have a chance to get back but what you're trying to do, Stephen, is we should point out to people, is further made damn difficult because of the calendar manipulation. Now we've covered at times, uh, if you go to the the Hebraic ideas, there's a year one in that supposed B C calendar. And then when you get over into the A D calendar, there is no year zero or I'm sorry, there is a year zero in the Hebrew. There's no year zero in in what's tied to the New Testament and the Vatican. Um, To put it in further perspective, uh, and this isn't even all the way back, there's supposedly a calendar from Roman times uh, with 10 months. All right. That's why it's claimed, one of the things that is claimed, why sept, which is seven, is our ninth month, because more months were added. But we're also told from history that Caesar woke up one day and said, my God, uh, it's winter time, and yet we're in June. This can't be right, which I don't accept for a second. These are people who lived on the land. You're not ever going to convince me that they were so dimwitted that they could build some of the best buildings, you know, the best standing armies I've ever seen, but they couldn't possibly keep a summer calendar in summertime. But the point is, history tells us this. Then if we jump up into the Vatican times, you're going to be told Pope Gregory takes another run at the calendars. I think it's Pope Gregory the 13th. So what people like Stephen are up against is it's monumental to try to go through this. And on top of this, even today, when we are going at the sky clock and you go to the Naval Observatory, you have Julian time being counted by this timekeeper of the world and Gregorian time. Why are they doing it? Point is, is this is so complex. And I think people should be aware of that, Stephen.
1: Yeah, it is incredibly complex. And I'm only one person. I can only do so much on my own. So that's why I do invite people to hit me up or contribute. I got commenting on all my pages. Um, If you're watching this and you know the answer to the questions that I don't know the answer to, comment them and increase the volume of information that's available here for people.
0: Let's try to streamline. Um, We're about half an hour or more in, and I want to get some of this. So let's quickly hit some of the sources you listed. What was it that Herodotus apparently offered? What was his historical account covering?
1: It's Greek history. I'm not as familiar with actually what these people are talking about as I am as how their text got to us today. For Thucydides, it's an easy answer what he was talking about. He became famous for his history of the Peloponnesian War which they consider him the father of history because he was the first one to kind of use primary sources. He went to people supposedly that were viewing the war itself. And so it was less mythical and more based in reality.
0: Isn't, and I, now I'm stretching my memory, and I know I just said Actium to you before we started recording, but isn't the Peloponnesian War one of the ones where there was one or two uh, celestial events that Flamenco latched onto?
1: If I'm not mistaken, I think there were three eclipses recorded Mm. in the history of the Peloponnesian War. And so, yeah, with Famyanka, there's with eclipses and trying to date eclipses, having three in a row, having that lineup like that, that really limits the amount of possible areas in history that that would be able to occur. They were split by... A certain number of years in between each of them. And so those three could only ever happen, say, once every. 1500 years or so they would line up to be to be plausible. And one thing that was noted in the early 20th century, this might actually be interesting for anyone who's not aware yet, but uh, leading up until like the 1970s astronomers were familiar with the fact that the further back you tried to calculate eclipses, the more off the mark they would be. And so in 1972, Robert Russell Newton caused quite a stir when he made assertions that Ptolemy, the guy Who wrote the Almagest and is responsible for really one of the foundational points of the theory of procession. Newton asserted that he was a forger and a liar and a fraud. And from there, NASA and the ESA both went about refuting him and creating what is now the modern state of astronomy and celestial mapping programs. Uh, I have two on my phone, but basically they grant the authenticity of the ancient records and then base their... uh, Programs around that. And so, no longer will you do the calculations and go back and be hundreds of years off from when the eclipse happened. It will happen precisely on the day and the time that the records supposedly say it happened. It's just not very legitimate, in my opinion, to do it that way, to grant these really. Sc- so, for example, and I know we got to streamline this, but for Thucydides, again, another fifth century. Uh, before B- BC historian. His earliest record was supposedly written in the 11th to the 12th century. The provenance for it is really weak, and that's how it is for just about all of them. These super important characters, hist- a lot of the ancient historians I've talked to, they've never even considered looking into the textual transmission or the provenance for these manuscripts. They have their editions that talk about what The writings that were attributed to these guys and they just leave it at that they just never need to look any further so let me just quick streamline these next couple people xenophon is another really important historian in greek history he's from the fourth century bc the earliest manuscripts that we have for him date to like the ninth century a.d which is just incredibly later and again the provenance is missing and weak And uh, Strabo, he's the guy that called Eratosthenes the father of geography, and his uh, manuscripts, there's two that date to the 5th century, weak provenance, the rest date after the ninth century, two in the Bodleian date to the 15th, but again, it's really weak uh, when it comes down to actually trying to determine when these things were written and what was their travel to their present location today. Geography is important for history because geography and chronology have long been considered twin disciplines. They're the eyes of history. They're the ways that history is able to view the world. Where chronology gives the order of events that have happened, geography gives a location to them. And so without geography and chronology, history is an absolute mess of information.
0: Well, it's kind of where we are, but I would point out there's no chain of custody, and on the face of it in any other discipline in this world, that would be an instant problem, not so for history. But what we find a lot is that the Vatican got a hold of things, or people who were under the sway of the Vatican, like the royal family of whatever in the hell in Europe. But what we can further find is if we go into the educated classes at this time, what languages were there speaking? There was a time and not too long ago when many people uh, in the upper crust learned to speak greek because they wanted to read the iliad in greek they thought that was important to read it in the original language but as you go back further in time what you find is the educated class were interested in certain texts and this becomes a big problem with history but to get back what you were saying about the eclipses i think that's one of the most valuable ways that we've ever seen this gone at and whether or not you want to accept that they're getting down to the day of when the eclipse is. And by the way, I think they're damn close, but to me, it doesn't matter. I would like to know the exact day and there should be a way to get to the exact day, but I think what we know is we're not 500 years off here, right? We're in the ballpark and when you're ballparking long periods of time, it can start to really demonstrate, really, did this happen this many millennia ago? Or is a hell of a lot closer to us? And I think that's the real value there. And to get back to the point of the Vatican, it is claimed that as they started to come towards the Renaissance, they were using Ptolemy and Manilius to try to catch up on their sky clock chops. But at the same time, around the 14th century, sometime in that neighborhood, they start introducing the globe. And then you referenced, um, I think it was Newton, you referenced that he's saying, these guys are all full of, full of prunes. They're not right. This is illegitimate. And that comes down to the idea of what's being represented by that globe. So they want you to accept we're on a spinning globe that's going faster than a speeding bullet. It's faster than the speed of sound, actually. And it's in orbit faster than a speeding bullet. And so... What the whole procession of the equinoxes wants you to accept is somehow the spin of this thing that I've just described is off a little. It's wobbling like a top. And that's really where another idea has been introduced that further makes it damn near impossible to think in the terms that we would like to think in. And I know I rambled a little bit, but it's just to try to frame up how massively complex all this is.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of key points. And yeah, the Vatican definitely was a center of scholarship. There was a lot going on there. It's interesting that both Scaliger and Kasabin, both of them, were considered the most learned men in Europe during their time. And both of them are convicted forgers. They both fabricated information to suit their goals. And to what degree, it's difficult to say because determining a forgery is a very difficult task. If if it's even possible to do since the ultimate goal of the forger is to create something that is so close to the actual thing that uh, it's indistinguishable from the original. And so the best forgeries are those which have yet to be discovered and which are potentially impossible to discover. There was a Greek chronology forged by um, Scaliger and like you were saying with the written in Greek he He wrote it in Greek and presented it that way. He didn't say it was ancient, but it was. It's kind of assumed that that's what he was going for was presenting it in a fashion that people would think it was an actually ancient text when it was not.
0: So I I think there's some critical points to make here, and damned if I wish I wouldn't have thought of this yesterday. I could have looked it up. I'm almost certain. That one of the sources I found was a numismatist who used coins that somehow related to the Scalinger narrative that proved it was just complete nonsense. Because this coin can be proved to be minted at this time. Um, That's a bit like saying Crow put out episode 64 in my book, right? It's a coin. On the face of it, you're not going to have a million dogs in the fight that are concerned with the narrative about this coin. But nonetheless, a coin is stamped. It's minted. Um, I think that's one of the things. But here's one of the things I opted for because of the mass, the mountain of complexity that you have to deal with going with the things we're talking about. I boil it down to a simple way to think about it. So is the Vatican the source of this information? If it is, what do I know about the Vatican? Do they lie? Yes, they do. Guess what? I can't accept it. That's my thinking out of the gate. Now, it doesn't make me stop looking or stop researching, but at the very foundation, I know this information came from a place that has told lies so monumental as to have affected almost the entirety of humanity. And so you're getting at the roots of things. I think one of the reasons Scaliger isn't accepted in a lot of these things is I think most people at this point accept that he was fraud, forger, among other things. But I just don't know how to better illustrate what we're up against when we actually want to be able to say this is some real history. And sadly, I think most of us would agree, and this is an assumption, that in the catacombs of the Vatican, there are almost certainly things that would clear up this crystal ball we're trying to peer into immensely. But again, that's an assumption because we can't go down there to look, right?
1: Right. And you have to have really specific requirements to get into that. And then also you have to know exactly how the manuscripts or the records are cataloged. And if you don't know exactly how they're cataloged, you can't get them retrieved for you. So really the best way to be able to get in there would get a job as an archivist at the Vatican. And then you could go and check it out, but they aren't just handing those out to anybody. (laughs)
0: probably got to be bloodlined. I know you got to be Catholic. There was a time when only Catholics could go in to do the research. I don't know if that's changed, but the other thing is we have had glimpses of the kind of vacuum (laughs) climate controlled rooms that are supposedly down there, but this is the problem that we have um, because we know what the Vatican has done to us all. They're holding paper on all our birth certificates. Um, They, have created a system that basically when we walk into a courtroom, we're considered lost at sea. So when you know this, you can't accept anything. If you are a logically minded person, you cannot accept anything more at face value. So the problem that I have with most of this is really, do we know anything of supposed Greek history? Well, there's a problem right out of the gate with calling it Greek history because Greece wasn't a country till the 1800s or something. So Probably what they're trying to get us to believe in here might be called Helens. Would that be a better description of the people we're actually talking about? And how does it come that we know anything? And everybody knows some of the answer. It's because we love the Odyssey. It's because we love Homer. And even recently in that, I've seen people making the argument that Homer was written by four different hands. So this is the problem that is not going away with history. And it's one of the reasons Jason and I wanted to speak with you because someone who's looking at this as one of their main tenants, I'd like to ask, I mean, what do you accept? What are the important points that you would lay on the table before we run out of time in hour one
1: important points that I would put on the table? Definitely the whole eyes of history thing. Chronology and geography are important for understanding history. As far as historical events goes, I do think Skyro was a real person. I do think that the sixteenth century is kind of where it starts to get a little less foggy, but really like just the 1650s is kind of when world events become less hazy. But even then, like there's forgeries. Forgeries and deception, deceit has been going on since time immemorial, and it has not stopped. Every single major world government, they all have disinformation organizations that are actively seeking out to uh, produce false information and muddy the waters. And so I think that there are ways to know history. And that it takes a lot of uh, reading and study to understand what those are. And I think that we still have a long way to go before we can really say anything for certain. I think that there's historians out there or even non-historians out there who would like to paint a picture of history as being uh, clean cut more than it really is. It's really foggy. The waters are incredibly dark and deep. And Oh, what's the saying, "Here be dragons." If we're I'm venturing into unknown territory, the map is incredibly small, in my opinion, and there is so much to explore.
0: You know, there's some key points using the method that I've developed because I realized um, there's we there are so many falsehoods and frauds in this world that it it becomes nearly impossible to navigate to something of value, and so you have to get different tools. And so the tools that I tried to adopt is how can I boil this down to as simple a thing as I can to call a foundation that I will then stand on and let it at least be my initial guide. Here's part of the problem we have the, you know, look, look at the idea of archons online right now. Oh, there's lizard people that shapeshift that run our world. Really? Really? you want to show me some evidence for that? Or are we just smoking peyote here? Now let's look at the word archon. We're talking about rulers And people like Dylan and others we've had on show you where that word came from. Well, rulers are going to be the lion's share of the source of any information that made it through history. Why? Because the educated class was interested in certain texts. But what do we know about rulers? They've got a dog in the fight, right? They say there's 10 of us. There's 100,000 of the people we're ruling over, and it is a nonstop concern of royalty of rulers of government of vaticans of religious traditions how do we control the minds which is why we have the word government to control the mind that's why this all exists because a few people have to figure out how to keep control over a lot of people so on the basic foundation of almost I don't know, at least the lion's share of anything we would call history it came through these centers to the point where I've often sat here and wondered, and I don't know what your point of view may be, did did the children of King whoever in the hell get a different education than people who were a few times removed from that royal circle? Uh, that is a truer indication. This is absolutely the reason why I covered the Bach saga, by the way. Setting aside the parts that are a little too shocking to do any good in, in a forum like this. But do you see where I'm going here, Stephen?
1: I think so. And yeah, it, it reminds me of uh, Professor Stern. He's uh, He wrote a book on calendars, and he notes how throughout ancient and medieval times, calendars were mostly in the favor of uh, the ruling class. And so they established the calendars, and they used it for official business, and they had control over the calendars, like what we you were talking about with uh, Caesar, who's like, it's, it's uh, winter in the middle of June. How could this be? <laughs>
0: right, perfect, right.
1: And then also further uh, talking about the split between educated people and uneducated people, Bertrand Russell mentions this in his Impact the Science on Society, where the educated class is so advanced that the public education, the common people, they'll have generated convictions that they really strongly believe in, but they have no clue why they believe in it. Which is something that I've found to be confirmed when I talk to a lot of different historians that say they really have an interest in ancient history and that they believe all these events happened and then they've never even considered looking into the manuscripts of Varro from the varro who established the day that is traditionally accepted for the foundation of rome and um we didn't even get into the roman historians but i could quick hash them out varro from the second to first century bc his earliest manuscript dates to the 11th century and it's incredibly obscure livy is another super important roman historian from the first century bc to first century AD. His manuscripts are incredibly obscure. Almost nobody's looked into them. Tacitus is another super important one, especially for Christians. And uh, his stuff is incredibly obscure. He's from the 1st to 2nd century AD, and uh, his works don't date until I think like the 16th century or so. 15th, 16th century is when they start popping up. Suetonius, again, is another important Roman historian who lived in the 1st to 2nd century AD, and his stuff is really obscure too. The earliest of them date to the 10th century, the rest of them date even later, and almost none of them have provenance uh, research done on them.
0: Well, this is one of the reasons why I wanted to respect the Fomenko idea, because what you just said is provable. You go to some history place where you're going to learn history, and these dudes aren't doing it. Not only are they not doing it, they're accepting everything at face value. They're memorizing all this timeline, which can't be authenticated when it's really not that difficult. As a matter of fact, let's do it right now. Let's take Caesar's supposed claim that I woke up in December and the calendar was in July or June. In other words, it's wintertime, but our damn calendar, criminy, criminy, somehow it's slipped half a year out. Well, let's do what Sherlock Holmes would do. Really? okay, Caesar of Rome, did you have grain this year? By the way, did you have wine this year? Because wine comes ready to make every year in September by whatever calendar you want to use. So how is it that all the people that made the food, and that's one of the main narratives for Rome the whole time, how do we get enough grain so that they won't riot? So where we get the The idea that give them bread and circus. If we can keep getting the grain for the bread and entertain them, we can govern their minds. We can control them. That's the idea. The whole time the food was being produced in fields, the field is locked to the sky clock. It is therefore not possible to have a calendar that is slipping. Or if people were following it, they would know full well that planting time or harvest time or whatever time would not be right. And if we pull up to Pope Gregory, the 13th, who's another guy who openly adds to the historical timeline that I jacked up your calendar. And by the way, I threw out 10 days to do it. Magically, 10 days, he's going to admit to. I think it's 10. The 22nd became the 11th, or I forget what the narrative is. Um, 10 days. Yeah, what he's all about is Easter, right? We're the Vatican. We control the world. We have to control Easter. So what we're going to do is figure out a way to nail Easter to one day. So when I'm sitting here in Rome, that dude halfway across the world is going to have Easter on the same day as I do, but we got a problem. Here we all are solar now, right? And unfortunately, we placed Easter at the first full moon after the spring equinox, which requires the sun and the moon. And by the way, we're going to pull it to wait for it the nearest day of the sun. So how do we calculate this? So they set forth to do a thing that is not doable, which we proved in spades by the equinoxes. You cannot list a day for an equinox any more than you can pin down a sunrise time. Dude in California experiences sunrise at a different time than a dude in New York. The equinox is no damn different. It is based on geography. Therefore, without argument, you can assert that Easter is no different. You cannot force Easter to a single day unless it just becomes an ecclesiastical idea, which is not what they were about. So this is the logic that I can apply to tell me that these dudes are full of prunes. I mean, are you with me?
1: Yeah, calendars are sketchy, to say the least.
0: We got about 10, 15 minutes. Let's try to close with something that'll lead our way into the hour, two. Um, we kind of breezed through the ancient Greeks. Do you want to pause on the Romans for any reason?
1: Uh, Nah, I I already ripped through the few Romans that I was going to talk about. But we can talk about the state of historical education today. So in the last week and a half, I put together a few different articles. Uh, Originally, my question was, when was the first bachelor's in history awarded? Because that's what I'm in school for right now. (laughs) And I'm curious, like, how long of a tradition has this been? And to my knowledge, literally nobody else has wondered this like how can you go to history like go to school for history get your bachelor's, then your master's, then your PhD in history and never wonder what the tradition is for these different degrees. I don't know. Maybe somebody out there has done this research, but it's not posted anywhere I could find. And so I conducted some research of my own. It looks like around the turn of the 20th century is when they started giving out degrees in history. It really wasn't even until like the 1880s, I think, that history started becoming a discipline of its own. Prior to that, it was kind of just a footnote. In the subjects of physics, you would learn a little bit of the history of physics, or the subject of mathematics, you'd learn a little bit of the history of mathematics in your mathematics course. But as far as history as a discipline of its own, that's a relatively recent phenomenon. It looks like it possibly started around the turn of the 20th century, but definitely by the 1950s, it started skyrocketing. Bachelors, masters, and PhDs were starting to be handed out. And 1950s, that's really late to the ballgame of historical understanding. So as I was looking for this, I was curious, well, when did... So colleges, universities, and institutions, they have different departments. And so they'll have a department of mathematics or a department of physics. And subsequently, they have a department of history. And I was curious, when did these departments get established? And so I went to... Check that out. And I posted a study. There's a uh, website called QS World University Rankings List. Yeah, QS World University Rankings. And it lists different um, top colleges for different types of studies. And so I'm a history student. I wanted to know what the best universities for history were. So I made a list of the top 50 universities for history, and I went through and I published when they were supposedly founded, then when their history departments were founded, just off of a brief investigation on their website. And what I found was that less than a fourth, so 24% of the history departments for the top 50 universities in the world for studying history 24% of them included the information on when their history department was founded. 24%. That's 12. I think 12. Uh, Yeah. But still, like, only 24% of the world's top-ranked history universities included information on when their history department was founded. Which is kind of sad because that's what their whole gig is. History. And they forgot to post the history on their thing. And so that, like kind of blew my mind. I was like, really, guys, like, this is what you're doing right now. You forgot to include this vital information on when your department was founded. And yeah, maybe it's not too bad of a thing. Maybe uh, that's just how it is with all the departments in the world. Um, maybe they just don't care about when their when their departments were founded. So I continued my research and posted an article. I just I picked a st- Department uh, statistics departments as my next thing to look into to see if their departments posted their history because I like statistics I like mathematics and I found it interesting and I just had to pick I had to pick a department to look into to see if they would post their history and sure enough the statistics departments and I did statistics slash mathematics departments if uh, the universities didn't have history so for the same universities fi- the top fifty universities for history a lot of them did have statistics departments, and their statistics departments have better established history than the history departments do, which just blew my mind again. They had 275% more uh, of their departments. So 66% of the statistics and math departments that I looked into had their history information included, when only 24% of them had their of the history departments had their history included, which is just like, these are the top 50 schools for history. I don't understand how they could have let this slip. And this is uh, the first podcast that I'm even talking about this on, because I did this within the last week and a half or so. And uh, I really hope that they either hear this or they look back on it and they update their information because that is, in my opinion, really sad that, they would have a slip-up like this where the history departments are getting topped in history by the statistic departments who are not necessarily interested in history at all. But further than that, the statistics departments, a lot of them had in-depth histories for their departments. Like, who all has been working in it? Where did it start from? What's the state of it today? And the history stuff... uh, it was not as good. And so I, I just found that to be really interesting. I figured I'd share that. And hopefully ins- if you ever go back and look at these websites and they have the information updated, it chances are it's because of me. Because uh, I looked into it and I pointed this out because apparently nobody had yet. I would imagine if you emailed them. So I am I didn't feel like emailing 50 of these uh, schools to ask them about the history of their history departments, but I was planning on doing that maybe. But Maybe they'll just see this and update it themselves, and I won't have to hit them up and spend my time on that. But that is just the one facet of the state of academic history today. They To note repetition and regurgitating information, the history departments, the majority of them don't have their history posted. nobody has looked into the history of history education. So beyond wanting to know when the first bachelor's degree was awarded, I wanted to read about how has history education changed over the years? Has it always been the same thing? Have people been learning? What are the differences? What, What is a history curriculum at Harvard compared to a history curriculum at the community college? Um, where's the difference? What are, what are the community college students missing on, if anything?
0: That is so interesting that what I would point out, uh, it's almost like we could imagine uh, in the 1800s, someone's idea of history would have been they read the classics. I mean, what do you think?
1: Yeah, No. Yeah. that's just about it. They would read the classics and they would maybe read the ancient historians, uh, potentially medieval historians. In history, the most popular field it looks like is modern history, specifically modern American history. And then there's a smaller portion of people that are interested in biblical history, specifically New Testament, first century, maybe a little bit Second Temple Judaism type stuff. And then... There's a smaller portion there that studies ancient history, and an even smaller portion that studies medieval history. And as I just pointed out earlier in this episode, you can't really study ancient history without appealing or resorting to using medieval sources as evidence. And so if you're not familiar with medieval history, I don't think you really have solid footing to be talking about ancient history.
0: Well, there's another problem here because in in the way that this is getting laid down, and I got to ping Jason, I can hear his gears turning about the Rockefellerization of education Um, by the timeline you laid down for when we decided to get around to making a fragmented, which is what I consider. It's not a holistic view. You're a specialist, right? It's like the foot doctor. Foot doctor can't cure your hand, can he? (laughs) You know, doesn't a doctor isn't a doctor's concern the entire holistic being? But that's kind of like what we're talking about. But but my point would be, is there's almost no history outside of the idea of Roman or Greek in the Western world. And even though we know places like China, which were big, there is a history there. We're just not very aware of it. And by the way, we can't pronounce their names. Jason and I were just talking about this like a day or two ago. But what do you think, Jason? This just totally smacks of the kind of Rockefellerization of education, doesn't it? Oh, sure. Compartmentalize everything and only give each individual what they need to get by and keep everyone in the dark as much as possible and pump them full of so much nonsense that they're arrogant beyond all belief that they are the holders of the keys to knowledge and the rest of you are idiots. This is what they do over and over and over again, especially with doctorates. Well, it's ironic. It's its almost like everybody has a general idea of they want what you want to accept, him, but it's based on like these magical races. One of them is the Greeks, which didn't exist until the 1800s. There was no Greece. Um, What were they? Were they Argives? Were they Hellens? They, They were something else, clearly. There's ancient places there that we can look at, um, but if it wasn't Greek, it wasn't Roman, or what's another one? Maybe like the Vikings. It's really weird how everything has been segmented into consciousness, and then edu- or, uh, entertainment gets a hold of it, and they, they you know latch on to those narrative moments that they want to sink into the timeline deeply, like Antony and Caesar's battle, and Cleopatra with her snake, and all these other things, which just seem like so much theater to me at this point.
1: So yeah, as we segue into part two, we can talk about theater and the Bible and how potentially the Bible started out as a theatrical play instead of a historical record.
0: Well, I was just recently doing research on that through, what was it? Part of it was on, I got a hold of the Devil's Pulpit 2. I guess I'm with Dylan. The Devil's Pulpit 1 is a better book, Um, but there's still clearly important things. But he cites all kinds of, like he is big on the chain of custody, and so what he does is he cites his sources, older sources, to get back to like the the supposed Chaldeans uh, in what I think would be modern-day Iraq, uh, which currently is peoples who lived in a very Muslim world that were, a lot of them were Christians, apparently ancient Christians. It's all very interesting, but he's tying so much of the biblical narrative uh, to the priest class there, although I don't think it's any secret at this point. There's a good 25 30 different cultures who we can illustrate key points of of that narrative. But I don't know why that upsets people. To me, it just underscores the importance. Like if you can find 25 or 30 cultures that were working from the similar narrative, there must be something very important about that narrative, right? I mean, that's the way I take it. Stephen can be found at ctruth.today. That's the letter C followed by the word truth all run together, lowercase, Dot today instead of dot com, and you can locate him there. We're going to come back for hour two, and I'm going to really want to try to dig a little more into Flamenco's new chronology. I found it all very interesting, and I'll say it again: um, if you go back to the episodes I mentioned earlier, what was it, 64, 65? I believe there may be links within the the comments to a lot of the PDFs. But if you search online, there's commonly, I think, in the neighborhood of 22 PDFs of Flamenco's work that get passed around quite frequently. I will say
1: that those what you're mentioning right now, it's 23 ebooks and they've been uploaded illegally. I would advise people not to use those and to instead go to the five volumes that have been published in English for free. They're all available on the Internet. It's a seven volume series. The ebooks are just fractured versions of those. The 23 are based on the seven, but those have been uploaded illegally, and the publisher has requested them to be taken down, but they have not yet been taken down. I actually just
0: saw them again earlier today. Good to know, because you always want to get as complete versions as you can, and that's another problem with using the internet, isn't it? We had this problem with uh, downward work being so fragmented and pulled apart and people just grabbed it and did what they wanted. But that does bring our one to a close. Join us on the other side for uh, hour two of episode 289.5. That's crow triple seven radio.com C R 77 radio.com. And I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy and higher minded new era. There it is. Cheers.